I'm excited about this message, mainly because I believe it's what the Lord wants me to say. When I preach messages, I don't preach messages for what I think you need to hear or want to hear. I preach messages of what I believe the Lord is saying to speak on. It's very important that you spend a lot of time in the Word throughout your day, every week, and that you're reading the Word for yourself. You're not reading the Word just to teach it. You're not reading the Word to get a good message. You're reading the Word because you need to become the Word in flesh. You need to know God's Word. You need to have a really sound mind and understanding of what God says in the Bible. I'm in about three or four different places in God's Word at any given time. I read daily devotionals by Oswald Chambers and others. I also just read a lot of different things. I'm At any given time, I'm in three or four different places in the Bible. When I come to preach on a Sunday morning, I don't really have to prepare much because I've already been in the Word throughout the week. And I got past this spot of trying to create a message, and I moved to a spot of becoming the message. And the only way you're going to become a message to somebody is if you're proactive and not reactive. And that's going to require you to spend a lot of time in God's Word so you have an arsenal of understanding. Not everybody needs the same thing. And what you have to be careful is to box people in. You know, I got Angel here sitting in the front row. His past, his story, he needed a unique word at a right time and a right message and a unique prophetic prescription for his life if you only knew his story, which he will tell at some point. It's incredible. But only God could have pierced into his heart to transform him to where now he and his family are sitting front row. He's soaking it in. He's a great evangelist in the kingdom, came full scale out of the kingdom of darkness. But it was because God had the right word at the right time that it cracked open his heart. And what I want you to understand is you can't just assume that somebody needs something the way it happened for you. You got to stop having preconceived ideas of what you're going to give away to people. Now, obviously, we're giving them Christ. Obviously, we give them the gospel. But that presentation and what Christ did, Hebrews, Hebrews 5, in the order of Melchizedek, it's hard to explain, and people can be dull of hearing. So because of that, you must have the right word at the right time. The word is living, it's active, it's like a double-edged sword. So when you speak the right word at the right time and you're not, not haphazard with it, that word cuts right into the heart of a man because it's alive. Now, some will reject it, but those that receive it, the word in and of itself changes somebody. You just got to get it in them. That's the whole context of the parable of the sower. So the sower goes out sowing seed and the seed falls on different types of heart soil. Some reject it. Some receive it on shallow ground, and when persecution, hardship, pursuit of wealth and money, uh, suffering for the name of Jesus, all those things, when it hits them, the, that stuff chokes out the seed. It's shallow ground. But the sower should never stop sowing. The sower should never stop giving the word. But you can't give what you don't know or what you don't have, right? So what I want to challenge you right off the bat as I bring you this word, because this is going to be a great word for you guys to grab onto. You've heard it, you're gonna know it, but I'm gonna bring a few unique things out of it that I think are really gonna impact your life because it impacted my life and it still is. But when you know the word and you're spirit-led, you can give a person the right word at the right time and it changes their life, all right? So today we're gonna talk about soul restoration. Soul restoration. Because many people, if not most of us, have soul damage. Now, what causes soul damage? And what is your soul? Your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. It's the seat. It's your, we also call it your heart, right? So the heart can be deceptively wicked. Why? Because it's your emotions. It's how you feel. It's how you think. And those things get tainted over the course of time. How we were raised things that happened to us indirectly. If you were raped or abused as a child, that wasn't your fault. That indirectly happened to you, but it still damages your soul. Things that we've done directly to ourselves. There's lots of women in this church that have had abortions, and they've all, for the most part, gotten healing. 
because it's a safe place to talk about it. There's no shame. There's no beating anybody up, but there's a safe atmosphere where people can get that soul damage healed and restored. To restore something means to bring it back to its original designer intent. But see, when God restores, he makes it better than it first was. Why does God do that? Because even a baby is born with soul damage. Now they're saved until the age of accountability, which that's debatable. For me, it's more like in their 30s, but they say it's 12. I'm like, 12 or 13, no way they become a man at 13. But what you have to understand is that even a child desperately needs Jesus. They're going to need the headship and lordship of Christ. They're born broken. How do you know that? Well, if just be a parent. My friend Dave was telling me how his daughter in the night put chocolate in the chili, and it's been a rough day for him. So if, if he's got to run out to the bathroom, just leave him be. I didn't teach my... It's a true story. My, my kids... I didn't teach them to dig their nails into each other's arms. I didn't teach them to pull hair, fight over toys. Mine, 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 that's my toy. Ah. We didn't teach them that. So innately inside of them, from the poison of the garden, from the poison of infectious sin that came through the fall, everyone must come to the Lord as their shepherd. He's got to be your shepherd. And so people are damaged. You ever met an angry Christian? You ever met a lying Christian? You ever met a Christian who's battling addiction? You ever met an offended Christian? You ever met a cheating Christian? You're all like, yeah. Everybody's like, yeah, I know that guy. Because you have to realize these things are in the soul. When you get born again, the Bible says that you are one with the Lord in spirit. You're joined together in the spirit with the Lord. But the Lord in time has to come in and bring restoration to the broken places, the false belief systems, the lies, the deception, even generational consequences that are passed down through our family line. All those things in time and process have to be healed. Now, God gives us the greatest weapon to heal our soul. It's himself, the Holy Spirit, who is a person who is one with Christ and the Father. So the Holy Spirit works on your soul. Thank God for the Holy Spirit. You're not alone. And everything I'm going to talk to you about today is this understanding that you're actually not alone. But do you feel alone sometimes? Yes. Even my wife and I at times feel alone even though we're together. And I think sometimes the Lord does that by design because sometimes you have to really feel alone to realize you're actually not alone. Because God has this way every time I'm like, I go into a pity party funk and I, woe is me. I tell him myself, okay? And I don't do the things that I once did, but I still am in the process of battling residue in my soul from years of abandonment, neglect, partying, drugs, sleeping around, all the things that I did. You guys know my story. I tripped a lot of acid. I ate a lot of mushrooms. I smoked a lot of pot. I did cocaine. And I wound up graduating from one of the greatest Christian colleges in this nation with honors or Roberts University. Only God could have done that. The greatest miracle in my life outside of Christ is my wife. Seriously, if you know my wife, she never in a million years would have ever said she'd marry somebody like me. I'd never marry somebody that's been married. She'd never marry somebody that's done drugs. She's never done a drug. She wouldn't marry anybody that's been in prison. And she definitely wouldn't marry a pastor who's 13 years older than her. Can we just say that God is a miracle working God? (laughs) And so... Every single one of us, your story doesn't have to be the story of addiction, though we reach a lot of people that are, that are in addiction or have come out of it, or gangs, or prison. 
It's because a lot of that's my story, but that's not everybody's story here. And if it was, then we would all be the same. We have to have people. I have to be married to somebody like my wife. She's so different and opposite, but it's for a purpose. But even she had soul damage. Even she has residue of soul damage that she has to work through, even though she didn't do the same thing that I did. Soul damage is this understanding of spiritual therapy and rehab over time. So you're, you're born again, but God has to work on your soul, your emotions. He has to deal with fear, fear of what other people think. That man-pleasing spirit, what are they going to think about me? I think most of us have to battle that man-pleasing spirit or the spirit of comparison. Why aren't I like them? Why do they have something that I don't have? Why do they look the way? Why, I've been a Christian for a long time. Why did they get that promotion or that blessing and I didn't? So we have these comparison things and we have these things inside of us where we constantly feel like we have to measure up for other people. Some of the greatest freedom you'll ever experience is when you really get to this place of saying, if God is for me, I don't care what anybody thinks about me. Because nobody can be, I mean, they can be against you, but it's a rhetorical question. If God is for you, who can be against you? The answer is no one, because God's for me. And this is a security and a confidence that comes when you really know the Lord is your shepherd. This is a lordship issue. Let me tell you something about sheep. Now, I'm not calling you dumb, but I'm going to tell you that sheep are dumb. How do I know? I, I feel like I live in a world of shepherd. I shepherd this church and a lot of crazy people, but none of y'all, except maybe him or him. No, no, I'm kidding. I shepherd employees in a business. I shepherd kids. That's hard. Kids is like the hardest. And I really actually shepherd sheep and goats. I really actually do have sheep and goats. And the goats are obstinate and stubborn and bullheaded. They'll knock fences down. They'll do anything. They're like scavengers. They destroy everything. But the sheep are just, thank you. <laughs> you all want to preach my message? It's all they think about is food. Food, 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 food. Man, they just want food. They, and that's all that's on their minds, food. They're ruled by their bellies, right? But sheep also, eat, as much as they only want food and can be dumb, they're trusting and they follow the shepherd, right? Sheep learn to be led and sometimes probably have to be made to lay down. Some of you can be so hard-headed, including me, that it's like, here's a green pasture, but you don't want to lay down. You want to keep on going and be busy and chasing after money and careers and stuff and fame and notoriety. So God says, I'm going to make you because he's got a rod and staff and he knows how to make you. See, Hebrews 5 says that Jesus learned obedience, how? Through suffering. None of us like suffering, but if you respond to suffering and failures and even temptation, right? So Jesus can sympathize because he was tempted in all points, the Bible says. It's the last part of Hebrews 4. And then in Hebrews 5, it basically says that because of that, he can have sympathy and compassion on those who are also being tempted. So temptation's all around. Temptation to lead ourselves, temptation to work harder, temptation to make it about us, Temptation to create our own paths. Temptation to put ourselves in the spotlight. Temptations to get more things and work harder. In fact, one of the greatest temptations that I think is actually demonic is making ourselves the provider. Because see, if he's really your shepherd, then he's your provider. Nowhere does it say you will be your own shepherd and your own provider. That's why we're gonna start with Psalm 23, verse one. In fact, this whole Psalm is about soul restoration. We're going to go back to it. It's been a long time since we've talked about this psalm, and maybe you guys haven't read it for a while, and I can't remember the last time I taught it. So let's start with verse 1. We're going to go line by line, six verses. Verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, or I'll have no lack. The shepherdless are always in want and lacking. Let me say that again. 
The shepherdless are always in want and lacking. But the shepherded, those that are being shepherded, they never want or lack. Now, when I first got born again, I really didn't understand the scripture because I was like, who wouldn't want the Lord as their shepherd? That's, not, that's how I read it. I was, I was a baby Christian. The Lord's my shepherd. I don't want him. That's not what that means. What it means is, is that you're actually not going to be in lack if the Lord is really your shepherd. This is a lordship issue. This is a lordship issue, and it's a trust issue. So on one side, you have sons and daughters who are like, man, the Lord is my provider. He's going to take care of me. On the other side, you have orphan spirits. You have sons and daughters or orphan spirits. I was orphaned by my dad when I was a kid. So an orphan spirit always watches their back, looks over their shoulder, works always hard as a man pleaser, does, has fear, shame, and control, always protecting, always preserving, always afraid, always wanting to please people, never wanting to be rejected, never wanting to be alone, orphan spirit. And orphan spirits make, can make really great leaders, CEOs, presidents of clubs, all the stuff that we've done, we become very successful because we're driven to succeed because I never want to be orphaned again. And I want people to value me now based on what I've done. Are you guys seeing this? This is, a, this is such an incredible revelation if you'll grab it. Orphan spirits are never satisfied. Orphan spirits work morning to night and eat their bread with sorrow. They find their value in what they do instead of who they are. And they want everybody to know who they, what they do instead of who they are. I said people all the time come in, they come into this church with what I call ministry rap sheets. They've led great ministries, great, done tons of stuff, pastors and giant youth camps and all these kinds of things and ordained in other denominations. They come and they show me, and they're like, I've done this, 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 this. I said, that's great. Have a seat for the next year. And let's see if you stay. Because we're not chasing ministry opportunities, we're chasing the sun. Promotion comes from the Lord. Remember Hebrews 5, no one takes the honor unto themselves to become a high priest. They're chosen from among men. You can't make yourself. Problem is they, they're valued in what they do. They don't know who they are. So now I can take a guy like my dear friend, and when he fully discovers who he is, can you only imagine what he'll do because of what he did in the kingdom of darkness, or I'll go back to angel, what you did in the kingdom of darkness. Now when you get born again, God brings all of that into the kingdom gets you healthy, and now you will flip, do a ninja flip on the kingdom of darkness. You see it? You see it? Because the, the nature, to a certain degree, has always been in you. The devil just perverted it. This is what happens when you don't have the Lord as your shepherd. You, get, you still have the call and the anointing from God in you, but it's dormant, and it doesn't come alive, and you don't get to use it for the right reasons. You know, so musicians... Man, how many incredible musicians are out there? I mean, insane musicians. And the music coming even out of the world, the sounds, the rhythms, the players, all those people have an anointing from God, but it's misguided, right? So then when they come into the kingdom, now they get to use their gift for the kingdom purposes and they step into real anointing and their gift gets refined for a better purpose. That was my story. And so the Lord has to be your shepherd. If the Lord's not your shepherd, you'll always be in fear of lack. Fear of lack. Let's say that, fear of lack. Fear of lack. Man, I deal with this all the time. Christians constantly worried about what's next. Constantly worried about what they're gonna wear, what they're gonna, and, and you're not saying like, man, I'm really worried about my clothes tomorrow. You're not really saying that, but in general, that's the core root. The core root is your possessions, what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear. And in Matthew 6, Jesus said, don't be like that. Your father already knows. He already cares for you. He knows what you need before you even ask. In fact, he takes it a step further. He says, it's my good pleasure to actually give you the whole kingdom. So every one of us are considered kings and priests in the kingdom. Do you know that? Revelation 5, he's made us a nation of kings and priests. But we're not living like kings and priests. We're living like peasants and paupers. Not how God called you to live. This isn't arrogance and cockiness and pride and haughtiness. This is security in who you are as sons and daughters. But you got to learn it and you got to know it. This is where it comes down to. Psalm 23, you can throw out the rest if you don't get this. 
The first thing is lordship. Now, when God takes you out of the kingdom of darkness and he truly becomes your shepherd, what's the first thing he does? Next verse. Because if I don't experience this first, if I don't understand green pastures and still waters, if he doesn't, then why did I come out? I just left one storm for another. Now, storms are going to come as a Christian, but he says, first, let me show you this. The problem, again, is notice this, he makes me and leads me because some of you have to be made. So I just say, make me. In fact, you know what, Lord, you don't even have to make me anymore. I'll lie down. Because what, what do you get in green pastures and still waters? You get provision, you get rest, you get refreshed, you get comfort, but... But let me tell you how I read this. I read this as God's going to take you to his happy place. And his happy place is going to become your happy place. My happy place used to be, I don't know, I can think of all kinds of crazy things. Grateful Dead concerts. I remember, I used to love, I've been to Cancun so many, I have been to Carlos and Charlie's and done more shots of tequila. I have done this, the zip lines fully clothed with my wallet and watch in the ocean drowning. I got nine, I am like plastered. So you come out of that to this. Because I had to fabricate green pastures and still waters with drugs, tripping acid, mushrooms, coke, weed. And you know what? I sure thought I was in green pastures and still waters then. Rainbows and lions and tigers. I used to wear those rainbow trippy paper glasses and see trails. I still see trails. Now, I'm going to tell you something cool about this psalm. In a minute, you're going to see two things. You're going to see the valley of the shadow of death, and you're going to see a table that is prepared before your enemies. Do you know why God prepares a table for you before your enemies and how you can do it? Because you've already walked through the valley and been to the pasture and the water in advance. So now when God makes, because some of you be like, I'll never sit at a table with my enemies. You will if God prepares it. In fact, that's actually by design. Jesus sat at a table with his enemy And he literally said, he who dips his bread in this oil, he's the one that's going to portray me. And the minute Judas did it, he was filled with Satan. But whose whose head was anointed and cup was overflowing. It's just an authority issue in who you are in your identity in having a shepherd. Because there's a whole pattern here. First, he becomes your Lord. Then he brings peace and rest to the storm of your soul. And then what he begins to do is bring restoration, healing to your soul. He leads you beside still waters and green pastures, but some of you refuse to be led. But remember, demons drive you. The Holy Spirit leads you. So if you feel driven, let's just own it. We live in a world of being driven. We, the Bible calls it the sweat of your brow. It's a result of the curse. The curse is now you will cultivate the herb with thorns and thistles, which means now by the sweat of my brow, I will toil instead of resting and having lordship and letting God lead me. And yes, death is going to come. Yes, there's some deadly valleys in front of you. But guess what? You'll keep moving. God doesn't make you lie down there. But some of you lie down there and you stay there. I know it's hard to lose a loved one. We've lost a child. But we didn't stay there. And I get it. That's why we have grief share and healing and prayer lines and it takes time. It hurts to lose a loved one. I understand My friend here lost her mom at 20, and it forever marked her. But now she's going to get soul healing in that area, right? And she didn't. many times you don't even realize that damage is there, but it manifests itself in all kinds of other ways. And so what's beautiful about this is that you come to this reality that's like, man, Lord, I know you're going to take care of me, but I know you have the best intentions for me. There's a scripture in Psalm 18. It says, 
Because the Lord delights in me, he brought me into a broad place. It wasn't because you earned it. It wasn't because you deserved it. It wasn't because you were good enough or went to church enough or read your Bible enough or worshiped enough. You're never going to be a good enough Christian. It's all by grace and because the Lord loves you. If you'll just surrender and allow yourself to be led and lay down, then God will do something supernatural in your life. Right? There's so much here. Is he leading you or are we leading ourselves? I'm tired of leading myself. When I lead myself, it's sleepless nights and anxiety and worry and doubt and disbelief and anger. I get mad at you. I get mad at the division in the church. I get mad at all kinds of stuff. I get selfish. I defend myself with my wife. I give her the silent treatment. She gives me the silent treatment. We don't talk. We don't communicate. Um, That all comes from not having still waters and green pastures in your heart. It all comes from not having the Lord truly as your shepherd. But I also want you to know is it takes time, right? Remember, it takes time for your soul to get healing. That's why you stay the course, you stay in the word, you continue to love God, and you keep showing up. Take it from me, 32 years, 33 years of church. Verse 3. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Soul restoration. This word restore restore means he takes you back. He takes you back and corrects every crooked place and restores every broken thing, every rusty thing, every dinged up thing, every banged up thing. And he actually makes you better than you were in the beginning. So it's original intent. This word restoration is original intent. So if you were robbed as a child or you allowed yourself to be robbed, whatever happened to you, God has this way of totally restoring your life to the way that you were originally designed to be in him. So he restores your soul and then he leads you in a new path. It's a new path. Not your own path, but his path. You're the righteousness of God in Christ. You can't make yourself righteous. Only the blood could put you in a righteous position. But remember, righteous position requires righteous living. Can we say that together today? Say this to me. Say, a righteous position requires righteous living. But the only way you're going to live righteously is to be led on a new path. That's right. Be okay with it. You're not leading yourself anymore. You're doing whatever he tells you to do. You're going where he tells you to go. You're planting where he tells you to plant. You're being obedient to him now because he is your shepherd. He's either your shepherd or he's not your shepherd. There's no gray area. Now, God works out that orphan thing over time because for me, that old orphan David who's dead, still there's residue of things that God's still working out in my life. And I'm okay with that. I can publicly repent of it and repent to my wife of it. I'm going to have no self-preservation, no fear of what you're going to think of me as a pastor. You got to get free of what other people think about you and learn to be okay with the process and have fun in the midst of the process. Where's the joy and the laughter? Why is, you know, this is the thing about deliverance and, and if, if the culture is so heavy deliverance, it's always like I'm so broken, I need the next thing. You're broken, enjoy the ride and let God fix you along the way. He restores your soul and leads you on a path of righteousness. And he does it for his name's sake. Let's say for his name's sake. I just, man, if, I don't have any tattoos, but if I did, I'd probably tattoo from head to toe the name of Jesus. Probably not on my face, but some people do. <laughs> some people do, listen, some people do. But I'm just saying like, it's for his name's sake. So your answer is for his name's sake. Why are we building Rock City Church? Why are we building a new sanctuary? Why do you preach the gospel? Why do you love people? Why do you even exist? (laughs) Everything's for his name's sake now. The name of Jesus, what he's done. Because you're his inheritance. 
Okay, I have you guys repeat. I repeat it too because it gets to me. Say that I'm his inheritance. So Jesus died for you to become his inheritance. Now when you become his inheritance, you'll leave a better inheritance for your kids. It'll be better than ranches and land and money and 401ks and trusts. And Although I hope I get a bunch of that stuff. And I wouldn't mind leaving that for my kids. I'm not opposed to that. My point is, is you have a better inheritance. And that's a spiritual legacy and inheritance that your children will carry on further than you. If our kids don't way outrun us, then we failed in our mission here. Am I right? So it's for his name's sake. And he leads you on a new path, not a path of destruction. He doesn't make you lay down in burning fields. I always got these songs in my head. How can we dance when the beds are burning? You don't even know that song, right? Men at work, 80s song. (laughs) God gives you satisfaction in place of destruction. If you're not satisfied in the things of God and with the Lord, you're always going to chase after being satisfied getting satisfaction from the things of this world. So we chase the drugs, alcohol, the arms of another, money, work, whatever it is. So God takes away that soul damage and that dissatisfaction, and he makes you satisfied. He satisfies your soul with good things, right? And so God wants to trade out the path you've been on for a new path in your life for his name's sake. Verse four, yes, Everybody just say yes. I mean, we could just stop this verse right there. Yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Meaning you're gonna walk through it. But see, this, notice the contrast. He made me to lay down and led me to a really incredible place. And when the, the valley of the shadow of death came, you walked through it. He didn't make you stay there. But we gotta move out of it. We've gotta move out of it. You can move out of it. But you've gotta get healing to your soul. You gotta let God bring healing into your soul realm. It hurts to lose loved ones. I understand. It hurts if we cause the damage, multiple marriages, drugs, alcohol, years of brokenness, but God is a restorer. He restores your soul. So he brings healing and he changes you. I tell you the thing about the drugs not to shock you when I say all the stuff I did. It's fun for me to talk about it because it's so miraculous how my, I am, still have my brain. And I don't just have my brain. It's better than it was before, though my wife doesn't think so sometimes. She's like, she's like, I don't know how you did what you did. I said, it's all by the grace of God, right? So God can restore all those burnt up dead cells in your head. God makes them better. He restores the neuropathways that were so hooked into addiction. Now he rewires your brain. Many of us need a brain rewiring. And you got some jumbled up wires. Some of, some of us have some real loose screws. But God knows how to screw them back in. <laughs> Amen. And I'm praying for some of you. God, screw their screws back in, Lord. Please, God. Please. Please, Lord. So remember, this is such an important verse because I'm kind of stuck in the middle one about not fearing any evil. You fear evil the most in that valley, not when you're lied down in green pastures and still waters. You feel the most alone in this valley. But what I want to tell you is these valleys come and go. They are actually only temporary. Even if somebody died, we had... One of a spiritual father in this house that helped me start this church, been with me since the day I moved to town, passed away of cancer. An elder here, Doug Fecht, who I love so much. 
but he kept the faith the whole way. And now he's lying down in green pastures and still waters. And if he could say one thing, he'd say, keep on moving because green pastures and still waters are coming. There's always something on the other side of the valley. There's always something on the other side of the cross. There's always a resurrection there. So you learn to keep walking and stop, stop camping there. You know, the scriptures, it says, think it not strange when you fall into diverse or various trials as though something strange happened to you. That's the first message I preached after we lost Eden Grace at 36 weeks. 32 weeks, thank you. That's the first message I preached because if you study that out, what it literally means is don't let it camp there. Don't let suffering and pain set up a resort in your heart. Make it a stranger and tell it to move on. Tell it to move on. Don't camp there. We have to move on, right? It takes time. It takes process. This isn't just get over it. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm reminding us all that you can move on. It's just a shadow, and it's temporary. Now, how many of you have ever been hiking in the mountains? How many of you have ever been hiking on really rough, rocky, steep hills or terrain? There's something about a staff or a rod in your hand. Now, the, for me, when I think about rod and staff, I think of stability. Okay? Because when I walk with a staff or a rod, I, that is going to hit the ground before my feet do. So you kind of walk in tandem. Poke, walk. Feel the path, walk. See, God always brings a stable path in front of you. And the path or the rocks or dashing your foot against the stone that could kill you, if it's rod and staff's going before you, his word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. If his rod and staff are checking the trail and the rocks in the valley of the shadow of death that could kill you, he leads you through it but does more than just leading you through it what does the rod and staff do? But to the world and the wicked and the lost, they're terrified of his rod and staff. Why? There's a lot of reasons. Pastors have misrepresented the rod and staff. Religious control, manipulation, or what I call beating the sheep. And I'm going to tell you, sometimes I want to beat the sheep. You over there. No. But see, God does, you have to understand that God doesn't beat you. He corrects you, pokes, prods, leads, guides, direct. The rod and staff's a picture of his word, his discipline, his correction, but all that actually is designed to comfort you, even if you're getting a spiritual spanking. One of the things I loved about my dad, he only had to spank me a few times. He probably should have spanked me a lot more, but he only spanked me a few times. But when he spanked me, he said something to me. He said, son, I want you to know this hurts me as much as it hurts you. And if I don't do this, I'll paraphrase it for you. He didn't say it this way, but here's how I read it. If you don't do this, that valley of shadow of death is going to kill you. And you won't know how to navigate it out. Or you'll throw yourself into it and kill yourself. That's why discipline and correction is so important. But when you're a son and a daughter, you're actually not afraid of God's discipline. But when you don't know the Lord, you are terrorized by it. It's two types of the fear of the Lord. Now I have a healthy fear of the Lord. It's all reverence, and I'm like, man, Lord, I, whatever it takes. If I need to be corrected, correct me. And when I discipline my children, now I never, I try my best. Half the time, I don't think they listen. <clears throat> but, well, they're young. They're under 10 and under. Not my daughter, but Zion is like in another planet. He's all boy and just like me. That's right. But I explain and I try to comfort even in the midst of the correction. God's discipline has a purpose, Hebrews 12. It actually produces a, a, a peaceable fruit of righteousness in our life. Rod and staff. It has many facets to it. The key is to cling on to it and to let it be your guide. Because walking through life is like that rocky, steep hill, isn't it? And many times you feel like, man, I'm going to die. 
but you're not. And even if you do, you're going to die in faith. I've said that to you many times. You, you don't love your life under the death. Death loses its sting. I'm going to preach my guts out because I love the kingdom for his namesake. I'm going to love my kids, love my wife. I'm going to make sure that they're set up with good life insurance. Seriously. I'm going to make sure that they're taken care of. And if I die, you better carry on the legacy. I don't believe I'm going to die. I believe I'm going to live a long time. But my life's not my own. I just get my eyes on him and cling to the rod and staff and let him do the rest. You got to get free of that fear of death thing. Only Jesus can do that. Death is a bondage. Some people are living in this valley full time, terrified of dying, terrified. But see, Jesus sets you free from that, his word, his spirit, and it'll comfort you in the midst of that fear and that worry. You actually won't fear when you have his rod and staff and one other major component to this verse, he's with you. You may feel alone, but you're not alone. When I got born again, you guys know some of my story. I gave my life fully to the Lord, fully surrendered my life to Christ in prison. Got baptized in the Holy Spirit in prison. When I got out, I didn't have a Rock City church. I had a dysfunctional, crazy pastor that robbed the church of $250,000. That was literally his last name was Fluke. I've told you this story. Every time he'd go to pray for somebody, jingle keys in his pocket and would shake his hand as if it was the Lord, but it wasn't. It was spiritual manipulation or what I call charismatic witchcraft. It's either the Lord or not the Lord. And if it's the Lord, you will not have to make anything happen. You're just gonna be a vessel. And your hand might shake and you may hit the ground and tremble and you may do stuff you never thought you'd do, but it will be the Lord. You don't have to hype it, fake it. That's called strange fire. That's what that is. We want the real thing, right? Where's the beef? So again, you fear no evil, but how much fear is in your life? I've said this many times. I'm gonna say it to you again. Perfect love casts out all fear. How do you know where you're missing perfect love in your life? anywhere you're afraid. Fear is the indicator of an absence of perfect love. And many of us don't even realize we have it. We work really hard to make sure that, again, we make these vows and judgments, I'm not gonna be like my mom and dad. Or we make these vows and judgments that say, because I didn't have or I was poor, I'm gonna make sure my kids aren't poor. But what if God used that poverty to create a story to pull other people out? You just want to be whatever God wants you to be. Because in that statement of I won't be poor like, I don't want my kids to be the way I was, you made a vow in judgment. And now instead of being like Jesus and serving him, we start serving money and wealth to make sure that our kids never suffer and lack. Man, if you could have been taught this early on as a Christian. That's the prosperity gospel gone astray. Does God want you to be prosperous? Yeah, but man, what does that look like? Are you not prosperous because you're only living in a medium household income making $45,000 a year and your house is only worth 75,000? So you're gonna judge that prosperity based on the guy that's got all the money and lives in the bigger hill? That's religious dysfunction. That's why contentment is key. You can live in a restored trailer and it'd be awesome. Seriously. So because God's with you. Now, this leads to the next verse. If you're sitting at a table with your enemies and you know your head's anointed and you know your cup's running over and you know that God is with you and you've been through the valley of the shout of death so you can't kill me, I've done overcome death so many times, you should be dead. You should be dead. But God and his, I just happen to have two really wild, former wild guys right to my side. Thank you, I need you to sit here every service, it's perfect. But so many of y'all, including myself, man, I've driven 100 miles an hour, drunk as a skunk down US1 at three in the morning, running every red light in South Miami, 
so many times. No thought, pedal to the metal, red light, red light, red light, red, red light, just blasted out of my mind. I can't tell you how many things I did that I should be dead. My friend Jill from high school is here visiting from Missouri who just fully surrendered her life to the Lord yesterday. Let's give her a hand clap. This girl, she was the one that would clean up my dad's house of all the pot bongs and paraphernalia and Coke residue before my dad would get home. She was that friend. And she's, she knows, if, in fact, if any of you don't believe any of my stories, just ask her. She's like, he did that. She was reminding, me, reminding of us a story, me hanging in the lake of the Ozarks on a mountaintop on a tree about this big twirling glow sticks tripping on acid. And literally the next morning, I was a foot from, I literally was hanging over death. She was there, that's right, she was there. God is, he's that good. He's that good. But you see, God, have you ever really thought to yourself why the Lord says pray for your enemies, love your enemies, and pray for those who spitefully use you? Because he's testing you. So then he makes a table, and you again, you say, no way I'm sitting with my enemy at the table. And I say, if God makes the table, you will. In fact, what if you did this? What if instead of saying, I don't really want to, and he has to force you, what if you just said, Lord, make a table, prepare a table with me, and bring my enemies? Do you know how many people were former enemies that go here? You know how many marriages that, that we have marriages where they got divorced and it was vicious, vicious divorce. And now they're great friends coming to church together and sitting in the same room. I mean, isn't that the way it should be? What if, what if Rock City Church was one big table? And then what if he makes it at your house? So man, there's no way I'm going to invite my enemy to my house. He's a thief. He's a robber. So no, I don't even want to see them. I, we have people that, that actually, sadly, break up, that are here. They think they're, like, going to get married forever. They've been together a week and a half. <laughs> and <laughs> this really is a true story. Oh, she's the one. I just met her last week. It's like, we're going to get married, Pastor. We're going to get married. I understand it can happen. Calm down. Calm down. <laughs> the exception is not the norm. I just want to say that. But, but God can do it. God can do it. I just don't advise it. I just don't advise it. And so... But they break up, but their life has been changed here. What are they going to do? Seriously, where are they going to go? I'm not going to say we're the only one, but this culture speaks a unique language to, the, to a certain group of people that follow it. Same with every other church, right? And so those people, what are they going to do? Sit scowling at each end of the sanctuary? There needs to be forgiveness in the house of God and you need to understand even Jesus sat at the table with his betrayer and gave him a chance all the way to the end. Listen, this is not rocket science. Let me make an announcement. We're all pretend we're at the Last Supper. Not all on one side of the table either. I'm gonna give you another chance, Judas. He, whoever dips his bread in this oil, he's the guy. It's kind of like this. Whoever grabs this napkin is the guy. Grab the napkin. Grab the napkin. The tissue. He's the guy. He's the one. Jesus makes the announcement. They all look around, and Judas just, uh-huh. they're all at the table. And he dips it in. It's, just, it's strange. But immediately, he was filled with Satan. He was fully possessed as soon as he did that. He made the choice, but he had, the, he had a way out all the way to the end. I love what Prophet Kevin Leal says, you're always going to get a Peter and you're always going to get a Judas. It's the process. You're always going to get a Saul. I just pray I'm never Saul. I don't ever want to be Saul. But sometimes 
It may seem like I have Saul tendencies. I don't want to. This is why you need to read the book, Tale of Three Kings. And I pray that I want to be like, I want to have a heart like David. I don't want to be like Saul, insecure, afraid, disobedient. I don't want that. But how many of you came through Saul's before you got here? Don't raise your hand. (laughs) Don't call me a Saul or I'll throw a spear at you. Oh, gosh. This is what happens when you preach twice, guys. I'm just telling you, you just never know what comes out. Proverbs 28.1 says that the righteous are bold as a lion, but the wicked flee when no one's pursuing. Right? That's the premise of this one, is because of your identity, because the Lord's your shepherd, And because I was proactive to abide in the secret place, which is a picture of the green pasture and the still water, then when my enemy comes to the table, I'm not moved or shaken. Get it? Do you see it? How many valleys do you have to walk through before you finally realize the Lord is your shepherd and you are his son and his daughter? And now, no matter what comes your way, you can overcome because of what he's brought you through. And then you realize there's another valley of a shadow of death or God's making a table, one or the two. What if God's preparing a table right now for your enemy to sit with you? I used the example last service of Saul. Saul was persecuting the church and killing Christians. He has a, what we call the Damascus Road experience. Light shines at new day, the noonday. The Lord speaks to him, blinds him for three days, no food, no water, completely blind, what happens next? He gets taken to Judas's house at a street called Straight, not by chance. Every crooked path God makes straight. Now he's blinded. See, many of you got to get blinded to your, your identity of who you were before. You're not the guy that you used to be identified with, neither am I. I used to have nicknames. You know that. I've told you that. I was Dave TV, just a gigolo, all Dave all night. That was my past. Luis Scott, he doesn't even smile at me over there. <laughs> David Lee Roth, Van Halen. Wow, guys. Some of you, my wife wouldn't know either. Don't worry. All these nicknames, Supplier Dave, all these things that the world put identity on. Yes, yes, that was one of them. The world puts this identity on you, but God gives you a new identity. And so now what God does is he takes all the enemies and all the people. Think about Saul. He has to go spend three days blinded in Judas's house, but then another disciple gets a visit named Ananias. And Ananias, the Lord tells Ananias, by the way, I mean, you're gonna go and lay hands on your greatest enemy who's been persecuting and killing Christians. And Ananias is like, ain't no way. And God's like, yeah, there is a way. Because guess why? God had already prepared Saul's heart. All Ananias had to do was show up and go, pow, and lay hands on him. And what happens? He gets filled with the spirit and scale falls off his eyes. God already did the work. God can do the work in your lost children. God can do the work in your ex. God can do the work in your past. God can do the work in your enemies. So when the table's prepared, when the table's prepared and your enemy comes, You don't know what God did. You don't know what God's doing. You don't know the visions and the dreams they've been having at night. And even if they are against you, what that produces inside of you is a test of trust and confidence that you are the head. You're the one that has the anointed head with oil. Last verse, verse six. I just love this. And I read this as one scripture tied together. The word here, dwell, also can be translated return. And return, 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 and return. One of my favorite places in the world to be is right here because I really do experience God's presence here. I love to pray. I love to worship. I love to be with you in this house. I feel safe here. I feel safe, like, a, like in a strong tower. Now, it's not just here because we carry the presence of God with you. And notice the goodness of God follows you all the days of your life. 
you have the statement of always looking over your shoulder. Well, if I look over my shoulder, what do I see? What do you see? So, there are people that go to this church that have started coming here that have left so much destruction. And there are other people here that have now gotten born again that in the past wanted to kill them. And they hear that they're here and they say, I can't go there because of what I did. But they don't know that that guy's now a born again Christian. And they're always looking over their shoulder, always afraid. Rob money from gangs. Rob stole money, took, hurt people, destroyed people. But where are they going to go? They have to have a safe house. And some of y'all got to not kill them when they walk in. That's for sure. I'm going to tell you right now. But goodness and mercy follows you. Let's say that. Goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. All means all. But see, that orphan spirit's always looking over their shoulder afraid. Always worried, always scared, always nervous, always protecting. But what if goodness and mercy was really following you all the days of your life? What if you really believed this? And it wasn't just words on a page that you've heard. How many times have some of us read this psalm? What if we really believe goodness and the joy, the passion? I wouldn't want anything else. I wouldn't want to check out or numb out or drug out or sex out or because I've got goodness and mercy. And I'm a, I have a shepherd and I've been through the valley and I've lied down and now I'm a son. But I'll say this to you for me. I'm not trying to say this to you to make you to always be at church. So get past that. I don't pressure one person to go to church. You guys know that, right? Ever. Somebody didn't want to be here? I don't want to force you to be here. Now, I'll encourage you to come, but I don't ever want to be that guy that shames you because you weren't at church. Ever. We come because we love God, and we come because of this reason. The goodness of God, the mercy of God's following me. So because of that, I'm coming back to his house over and over and over and over and over and over again. We get trained and equipped in a corporate house. We learn the goodness of God, worshiping together. We get, we get taught the word to go apply it to our life. And because God's good and because his mercy's chasing me down, I keep returning, dwelling in the house of the Lord. So my question to you today is, is the Lord your shepherd? Have you been leading yourself or is he leading you? Are you on a path of righteousness or a path of destruction? Are you in a valley of a shadow of death and need comfort and prayer today? Do you feel alone? Are there enemies all around? Is your cup empty? Are you always looking over your shoulder? Do you have that orphan thing going on? That's you. We want to pray for you today. If you said yes to any of those things, we're going to pray for you. So let's all stand. And I'd like to ask my prayer partners and my ministry team to come up. Prayer partners and ministry team, please come up to the front. Now I'm going to pray for you publicly and while I'm praying if you said yes to any of those things if you've been combusting if you've been battling addiction if you've been hiding if you've got vices if you feel alone if, if this message resonated with you if you've not given your life fully to the Lord and you're not born again don't play if you're not sure come up and let somebody pray with you if you wandered away if you went in your own direction come back home and let somebody pray for you today if you're battling sickness in your body, fear, worry, doubt, or an inaccuracy of who God is, if you've lost your fire, if you lost your joy, if you feel like, man, there ain't no goodness and mercy following me, it's death and destruction and nightmares and addiction, get up here and let somebody pray for you. This is where the rubber meets the road and us praying together, or the hand meets the shoulder and we lay hands on it. 
So come up as I pray for you and dismiss you. If you'd like somebody to pray for you, the altar's open. Please don't leave here the same. Lord, I thank you so much for today. I'm gonna take a minute to pray. You guys just come on up. And tell them, you know, prayer partners, ask them what, what, what they need prayer for, okay? Come on up. Return to the Lord today. Don't take that hurt and pain home. Don't take it home. You don't have to live the same. So Jesus, I just thank you, Lord, that you are our shepherd. Be the shepherd of Rock City. Be the shepherd of our hearts. Be the shepherd of our lives. Be the shepherd of our children. And Lord, I thank you that we never lack. I thank you that there is no lack. God, as people come and we pray at the altar, I pray for healing today. I pray that lives will be transformed and fully restored. I want to thank you so much, Lord God, for the green pastors. Man, we couldn't survive without the green pastors and the still waters, Lord. All those valleys, I want to thank you for... I'm declaring a green pasture and still waters for your life. Just take it. Rest, provision, peace, comfort, strength, joy. Just receive it today. Move out of that valley of death. Move out. Cling to the rod and staff, the goodness of God, his word, his truth, his love, his life. God, I thank you for the Ananiases that lay hands and bring the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the, the Judases that have the house where the Sauls that are blinded can stay. Thank you that you make a table, Lord, and we'll sit down at it when you make it. I'll sit at the table. Just tell them I'll sit at the table. Have a seat, son. I'm going to show you what I can do with my enemies and your enemies. I'm going to show you what I can do. I hear the Lord say it. I'm going to watch what I do with your enemies. I'm going to save them, heal them, deliver them, or reveal to you just who you are in the midst of it. God, I thank you that we don't have to leave here hurt, jaded, bitter, angry, with unforgiveness in our lives. We don't have to, we don't have to live in that addiction anymore. Lord, my prayer is that we would be done, that people would be done, 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 with the drugs, done with the alcohol, done with the addiction, done with the fear. Cut the roots out, God. Cut the roots out in Jesus' name. Set the captives free today. Come on, agree with me as I pray. Set the captives free today, God. Make this a watering hole. Make this a pool of Bethesda. Make this a place where those that have been sick for a lifetime can find healing. God, I wanna thank you so much for comforting us with your rod and staff and bringing stability. Make us stable, God. Pray that prayer. Make me stable, Lord. Bring stability to my heart. In the midst of the storm, in the midst of the valley, bring stability to my heart, God. Stable my path. Stable my steps. God, I thank you for restoring marriages. Every marriage here today those watching online that have been divided, heal marriages, God. Make the husbands and wives one flesh, flamed on for the Son of God. Well, I just feel the Lord in this place right now. Let's take a moment before you go to just lift our hands to the Lord and say this when we say, I surrender all. Surrender all. Be my shepherd, Lord. Show me what it means to not have lack. Thank you, God, for your healing, your blood, your power, giving me a sound mind, taking me to green pastures, still waters, and even if I go through the valley that I'm just passing through, death is only a shadow. Speak life and health to you. Just receive it. I'm speaking it over your life today. I speak health to your body, health to your mind. I come against mental health issues. I come against crazy. I come against loose screws. I come against off thinking. I come against fear of what other people think and say. I come against that comparison measuring up thing. I come against that false identity, that false humility. 
And I pray, God, for life and true identity, real humility. Thank you, God, that as we become more broken, what comes out of us is a beautiful fragrance, a sweet-smelling fragrance, God, to bring life to everyone we encounter. Thank you that goodness and mercy follows us all the days of our life. Lord, let us believe it and know it, not just say it. May we know your goodness and mercy. You've been so good, God. You're so merciful, and we love you so much. Just tell him you love him. Come on, everybody in this place, tell him, I love you, Lord. Well, say it with your mouth. I love you, Jesus. I love you so much. Just express your love and express your gratitude to him. Lord, you've been so good. I love you so much. You're so good. Thank you, God, for your kindness. And I thank you, Lord, for hearing all these prayers that are taking place in this house today. You are the shepherd of Rock City. You're the shepherd of Corpus Christi. You are the shepherd of this nation. You're the shepherd of the nations of the world. And you're the shepherd of my heart. You're the king. You've set your king, Lord, on, my, on your mountain. And we love you so much, Jesus. I love you so much in Jesus' name. Amen. I love you guys. Have an awesome day. Go soak in the goodness of God, will you?